0: Hey, Fellowship family, Joe Hishma here. It's great to have you with us on this Thanksgiving weekend. Welcome, everyone, for connecting with us. And we're at the end of our series that we've been here uh, 19 weeks on this series called Citizens and Saints. And we've looked at Romans chapters 12 all the way through chapter 15, and we're going to finish This evening, and last weekend, we talked about that one thing, that one thing that rules everything, and Paul really showed that to the church in Rome when he said that he ultimately wanted the gospel in everyone's life, everywhere, wherever they were. That was his vision. That was his vision, and we kind of put that up there for us, that our mission would be that all people everywhere see, believe, live, and give the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's kind of our mission statement as a church. Here at Fellowship, we say uh, our mission here is to help people find and follow Jesus Christ. And it's all based on what Paul has been encouraging us to do. Now, tonight, what we're going to be looking at, or excuse me, today, uh, it's the weekend, right? Uh, We're we're not just going to hear Paul's words in his teaching. We're going to actually trace his footprints. And he actually lived the gospel in, in this passage. And so we're going to trace that and look at what, are, what were the ramifications of him living this motto of all people everywhere to see, believe, uh, live, and give the gospel. And so his, his perspective is really that of an overflow perspective. It's not of scarcity. It's of abundance. He had this thing called the unlimited grace of God in the gospel, and it overflowed from his life to everyone everywhere. So with that, Let's take a look at Romans chapter 15, beginning with verse 22. If you have a Bible, open up. I always like you to have a Bible to open up so you can see it with your own eyes, what God's word is saying to us. But take a look at this. Let's just read it together. Paul says, this is the reason, and the reason was all people everywhere need to hear the gospel. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they also ought to be of service to them in in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. Okay, so I want to give a picture to all you uh, geography people out there and give you a picture of the... The first century world at that time, kind of the Roman Empire, and here I want to just put up up on your screen so you can see it. And as it's there, I'll just kind of talk through it. So Paul, for the most part, was was writing this from Corinth, which is right almost right center of that Mediterranean world called the first century, and it's the Roman Empire that he was in, and and he wrote most likely in uh, the the city of Corinth. And he wrote that, this in Romans, he wrote the book of Romans to, out of Corinth, and he was going to tell them this is where he was going to travel. He was first going to go from Corinth to Jerusalem, and that's what he did. Now he stopped at Ephesus, and he said goodbye to the church in Ephesus, and there was much tears, and they all begged him, don't go, don't go. You're going you're gonna to die if you go to Jerusalem, because the Jews there hate you. And he said, "No, I must go." So he continued to go, and then he went uh, to Caesarea by the sea. That's where he went, and he he again told them the saints there that they were going. He, he was going to go to Jerusalem, and they they pleaded with him, "Don't go to Jerusalem." But he continued to say, "No, I must go." And so he goes to Jerusalem. And he preaches the gospel there and he's imprisoned. And there was, there's a group of Jews there who wanted to kill him. Matter of fact, they made an oath that, that 40 days, 40 days, uh, uh, 40 of them, excuse me, said, we won't eat or drink until we kill him, until he's dead. And he, he pursued. And the, the Roman government had to come in, swoop in and, and then save him and, and then protect him from the angry Jews who were in Jerusalem. So they put him back to Caesarea by the sea, because that was the big Roman city in the area. And he waited there for two and a half years. Uh, one of the leaders there, Festus, uh, tried to exact a, uh, um, a bribe from him, but Paul refused to do it. So he just stayed there under house arrest for two and a half years. And then he finally appealed before Caesar, and then he took the trip to Rome. And, uh, he moved. If you take a look at this again, we're going back to the map that travel to, from Jerusalem, to Rome was about a year because he actually had a shipwreck as he went along the way there but he eventually made it to Rome and then and then if he went to Spain which the the first century church believe he did go to Spain but there's no there's no biblical uh, proof that he went to Spain. But if he did, uh, he would have sailed to Spain and advanced the gospel there. And so let's just put this up there. Okay, again, you geography, geography bugs, you know, stay with me. He traveled 800 miles to Jerusalem, 1,500 miles to Rome. And then if he went to Spain, he added another 700 miles on it. 3,000 miles. Over four years, traveling no faster than the pace of his feet, a ship... Or a horse, okay? And let me just put this up there. The gospel, the shaded area all around this map, that's where the gospel spread in the first and second century. Because one person wanted to take it to everyone everywhere. Okay, let's go off the map. Let's go back into God's word. Because this is the picture. He, he, his whole vision was everyone everywhere. Uh, seeing and believing and living and giving the gospel. And so let's keep reading. Let's keep reading here. He says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy. And be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Okay, now this isn't the end of the book. But it's the end of chapter 15. We know it continues because we have a chapter 16, right? Okay, But his vision for all this that, that, that would happen, his ultimate vision of Christ in all people everywhere, that ultimately the peace of God would be with them all. And, and by the way, this whole picture of the peace of God being with them all, wasn't this angle of just being calm and quiet and kind of peaceful, how we view that word. But rather, it was that Jewish sense of shalom, shalom. Now think about that word shalom. It's not just calm and quiet. It's the restoration of all things, spiritual, physical, even emotional, it's the rest of all striving where everyone's fulfilled and satisfied in a relationship with God. That everything in creation and in society is at peace with God. That's the vision he had for the world. Now, we know that can only happen when Christ returns. It, but until that point, until that point, we can wish each other peace as the apostle Paul did. And we look can look forward to the peace of God that ultimately will not just rule in our lives now, but rule for all eternity. So Paul did this. He received the gospel. He lived the gospel. And then he gave the gospel. And what he's calling on them in the church in Rome is, is this. He's calling them, first of all, to be a gospel-receiving church. That they would be a church that received the gospel. They would believe it. They wouldn't just see it as ideology. They would believe it and they would say Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God and I put my faith and trust in him. I'm going to stop trying through the law and trying to please God and I'm going to trust in what Christ has done for me. Christ lived for me. He died for me. He rose again from the dead for me. My friends, if you are at a point where you would like to make a a statement of faith in your life, maybe you've never done it before, or or you might have thought it's all in your works that saves you, come to Jesus and find the peace of God. You don't have to strive anymore. All the work that's been needed has been done in Christ. Receive Jesus into your life. and Do that simply by saying, Jesus, I get it. You lived, you died, you rose again for me. I trust you, I believe you, I receive you into my life. And now I follow you. Now welcome to the family if that's the, fir- the first time you've done that. But Paul is saying once you've received it, now live it. May the gospel have that picture in your life where you're living it out. And, and you're living it. You're, you're not just, you're not just um, receiving it like a one and done thing. It's, it, becomes to, it starts to change you and transform you to look more and more like Jesus. It changes the way you treat each other. It changes your patience It changes how you love each other. Even when you disagree, you don't disconnect. You continue to love each other. And then once you're a gospel-receiving and gospel-living church, then the church in Rome, he said, be a gospel-giving church. Be a church that gives it and moves it beyond your region. And so Paul's going to give give them then. This is how this happens. And he's going to give it not just for Rome, the church in Rome. He's going to give it for us today. And there's three things I want to just rise to the surface that this passage will teach us. And What does it take to be a gospel-giving church? Three things. Let's talk about them. First one is found in verse 30 and has to do with persistent prayer. Look what Paul says to them again. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Strive together. That's all about persistent prayer. Now, at times, at times it feels like we should be doing more, but here what Paul is saying is, no, pray more, pray more. And here's what we believe here at Fellowship Bible Church. We believe that prayer is the most we can do, and this is why we say that. It's because so many people in our world today, even Christians who who give lip service to prayer, but don't actually pray. They they say things like this. They go, the least we can do is pray. And, And if you read the scriptures and you see how the basis of the New Testament church was a foundation of prayer, you would see it much different. You would say, no, it's the most we can do. Before you act, pray. Before you think, pray. Before you emote or before you get angry, pray. That's the most we can do, and it's the first thing we should do. For some of us, though, persistent prayer is one of the hardest things in our walk with Christ because we're easily distracted, we're bored, we're hurried, we're, we feel inadequate when we pray. I can't pray like you, Joe, or I can't pray like, you know, the book of Psalms, or I can't pray like the Apostle Paul. And you know what? We've got to step away from the comparison, and we've got to simply talk to God and pray to him. Paul says, strive together with me. Persistent prayer pushes us through to seek and listen and respond to a living God, a God who is working in our world today to make known his son, Jesus. Paul called them, let's do this together. So push through, church. Let me just encourage you, if you aren't in a regular pattern of praying, if prayer is the the last thing you think about in your walk with Christ, I want you to just dust it off and find a place where you can pray each day. Find a time where you can, uh, when you can pray each day and just spend some time listening to God and praying to Him and, 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 and to pray for the gospel to move through your life, for the love of Jesus to be reflected in all you do, for all that, that you think about, even for your feelings and your emotions that, to let the gospel lead you in that. Here's some things I pray for, just to, maybe I, I might prime the pump with you, but I pray for major spiritual awakening in the Topeka region. I really do. I pray that men and women, boys and girls, would, would would see their need for Jesus and put their faith and trust in him, and they would follow him. I pray for our church that God would use us and other churches, like-minded churches who Preach the word of God and call people to follow Jesus that we would be all together We would unify around making Jesus greater on earth as he is in heaven I pray for each of our hearts to be so moved by the gospel But we couldn't have that we couldn't help but living it and giving it to everyone See we feel so limited right now and you may do that You may feel that right now that I didn't get to have the thanksgiving I wanted I didn't and I can't go to the places I want to go but what if God were limiting us right now to unleash us in prayer, so that at the end of all this disruption, we might say, Boy, God, I really thank you for that time because I was able to deepen in my practice of prayer on a daily basis. I, I quit worrying so much because I learned over this time of limitedness. To see the unlimited control and love of God in my life. That's what I pray for you during this time. That we wouldn't move towards anger. That we wouldn't move towards impatience. But we would be people who would deepen in our prayer together. Persistent prayer. It was that in the first century. It is that until now. I love one of the things about our outreach ministry here. And uh, uh, one of our pastors, Jeremy Wynn, leads that area along with his team. But they say persistent prayer is one of our values. Where they solve problems in their ministry through prayer. And And I found that the flip opposite of that is so true in my life the worst enemy i have is prayerless striving it's trying to do ministry without the power of prayer it's trying to do the next thing that's self-dependent rather than god-dependent in prayer persistent prayer now, let's keep reading though cuz paul's going to blend persistent prayer with another value called sacrificial generosity look at verse 31 with me he says this pray with me that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for um, Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Okay, what is he saying to us now? He's saying, he's saying ultimately pray for two things, deliverance and acceptance deliverance that those who are against me in Jerusalem, and they were there were a ton of them. I mean, everyone around the temple who was a Jewish leader had Paul on their most wanted list. And they didn't want to just kick him out. They wanted to kill him. And so Paul says, pray that I might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. That was the nicest word he could give them. Okay. And then, and then the second thing he asked them to pray for is that his service, his service in Jerusalem may be acceptable. And this is interesting because there were the church there in Jerusalem, they were needy. They were they were uh, under-resourced. And so Paul, throughout all of his Gentile travels, asked the church to give to give generously uh, their, of their money. Even some out of extreme poverty, God welled up rich generosity, and they gave a generous offering which he took with them, and he gave it to them. and he wanted them to accept it. And he had some concerns, because the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, they didn't necessarily like it that Gentiles were included in the plan of God. And Paul was fearful a little bit that if he gave them an offering primarily from Gentile believers, they would go, no, we won't touch anything from Gentiles. Or you're just trying to bribe us to like those people. And Paul pr- said, pray, pray that when we give this sacrificial gift, they would receive it. And I would just call out one other thing that's in many of us is that when people give us something sometimes our pride and ego just say no I don't want anyone to do that for me and so we resist it and Paul's saying no ultimately let that may they receive it not where they see their need for it and they see it as a provision from God and from the the gentiles now Paul is saying here he's calling them into being a people that That is generous. And is sacrificial in that. And if you just read the book of Acts. From Acts chapter 20 to 28. Where this whole part of this. All of his travels are. You're going to see the gospel just jettisoning. Jettisoning from his life to others. Because people were generous with him. They gave him offerings, they gave him supplies, they gave of their time, they gave of their energy, and people sacrificed. And the truth is, the truth is that I just realized is the gospel is just not going to move beyond my life unless I'm willing to give it from my life. So by its very nature, I have to sacrifice my selfishness, my pride, even my own image So that the image of Jesus can shine through me. That won't happen as long as I'm standing up on my high horse and as long as I'm prideful, as long as I'm selfish. I have to step down so something greater can come through me. And I found this to work even just, not just in the spiritual, but even in the physical. It's, it's the things that get most of my money that demand the most of my time and my interest. And so if I give the most out of all the things that are in my life, guess what becomes a greater value in my life? Generosity does. You can't be generous unless you gift. So in the same way that I would encourage you to find a place and find a time to pray, let me just encourage you, start somewhere in generosity. If you're not giving, I would encourage you, give. Start someplace, begin someplace. I always ask people to pray and just say, God, what would you have me give? And how can I advance the gospel through it? Paul saw, he never saw money as something that would can kind of uh, chain him to this world. He wasn't distracted by it. He always saw it for what God sees it. It's, it's just something temporal that, that we can convert into something that's even greater. Something that's eternal. And that's Jesus Christ in the lives of priceless, eternal people. See, that's what the gospel does in each of us. It moves us when it takes root in my heart. It moves me to give all that I am and all that I have to make Jesus greater. So we have the whole picture of persistent prayer. We have sacrificial generosity. And look at this last one. We have um, loving relationships. Loving relationships. Look what he said in verse 32. He says, So that by God's will I may come to you with joy... And be refreshed in your company. So that those were all about his love for them. That was all about his, his, the grace of God that went into his life. That he looked forward sometime in the future when he would be with them. And celebrate what God has done through them. And you know if you take the rest of uh, chapter 16. The rest of the, uh, the book of Romans. And you read it. That's exactly what you'll see. You'll see person after person tens and tens and tens of people who are named he names them and I want to encourage you if you like reading names that aren't real popular um, you can read Romans chapter 16 but let me give you just the bird's eye view of that it's all about the loving people in Paul's life who helped him take the gospel to everyone everywhere And, and in that we had Jew and Gentile we had male and female we had rich and poor we had, we had people from all over the world who joined in with Paul and joined him and said, we'll love Jesus and we'll love each other and we'll make the gospel greater on earth as it is in heaven. You know, I think about that and, and it just shows us as you read through Romans 15 and Romans 16, you just realize there's no Lone Rangers with the gospel. And okay, I just dated myself because I just remember the reruns of Lone Ranger. Some of you remember Lone Ranger, but let me just contextualize it. Okay, there are no Jason Bournes with the gospel. There's, there's no unknown individualists who are off the grid, who can do it all themselves, you know, explode everything and advance everything. No, in the advancement of the gospel, it takes people. It takes a church. It takes deep partnerships, loving relationships, support through prayer, through giving, through encouragement, through celebration, and the rest of the book of Romans is just going to put exclamation point after exclamation point. We can't do this alone. The gospel-giving church is founded on prayer. It's fueled by generosity, and it, it thrives in loving relationships. Okay, so let's put this together. Let's put this together. But before I do, let me just ask you a quick question. How are your relationships right now? I know all of us have a few people we can be really good with. But what about people around you? The people that your life has gone through this week? Is it a bunch of upturned boats in the wake of who you are? Or do people at the end of the day see that you're a loving person, that you care, and that it's not just about your comfort or your security. It's about a greater love, the love of Jesus for them. Folks, don't distance yourself from Christian community during this time. Let it be known during this time that you deepened relationships with other believers, with people around you. Okay, let me give you a closing perspective because Paul, as we zoom out of Romans 15 and then we go all the way back to Romans 12 and we just look at that passage that we've spent 19 weeks talking about, Paul is going to start out and say, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you're able to know what is good and accepted and God's perfect will for you. He talked to you about, you know, not thinking more highly than you ought. And he talked about not squabbling with each other over non-essential issues. And he showed them the role that they'd play. And it reminds me about something that we're going to do. And I want to get up and show you a quick illustration on this. Okay, so some of you, you know, really... Really, OCD people have already got your Christmas gifts, uh, gifts out and your Christmas lights up. I haven't done it. I'm going to be doing it over the next um, few days. But we all come across this, the gnarled mess of Christmas tree lights. And it, it's kind of what Paul is saying, is that they've heard the gospel and they're reflecting the gospel. But then, then when someone goes off and gets... And kind of loses it and distance themselves from the family. It's, it's like a whole bunch of lights go out. Did you see that? Okay, I'm going to show it to you again. Um, okay, so the, see the lights going on and off there? Okay. So, so the gospel doesn't totally get extinguished. But think about the lives that happens when one light, your light, is disconnected is disconnected from Christian community, is disconnected from prayer, is disconnected from generosity. Now what Paul is saying is, look, your little squabble matters. Your attitude matters. He wanted them to be put back in and connected so the light of Jesus could shine through them as a church. And he put it all into perspective. When you disagree with someone over a non-essential issue and you don't love them anymore, other people's lives are affected. Other people's lives are affected. So he says, come on, get reconnected to God's love. Let the glory of the gospel shine in so you make Jesus greater. And I just want to close with this. You have no idea how many other lives are affected when we go selfish, when we go angry, when we go impatient with others who might annoy us or offend us on something that's not an essential to our faith. And Paul is saying, No, let the gospel be the main thing that rules everything. Jesus in the lives of people everywhere. Everywhere. All people everywhere. That's our charter as a church. To help people find and follow Jesus Christ. So church, let your light shine. That others might see your good works. And glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for the book of Romans and how it's moved us to be people who have sought you and found you and are living in a reflection of the gospel of Jesus. And now we pray for this church, our church, Fellowship Bible Church, that we would be a church of persistent prayer because each of our people are praying with you on a daily basis and connecting with you that we would be a sacrificially generous church that that we would think about how can we give more rather than how can we keep more and lord may we be people committed to loving relationships relationships that sometime will require a difficult conversation that will always require a heart of forgiveness as we have been forgiven by god and that will ultimately see a greater vision of not selfishness and, and, and not uh, a pride, but, but people who would make Jesus greater on earth as he is in heaven. Father, use our church to be a gospel-giving church. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.